0: Again, we're continuing in this series about the sufficiency of Christ. He is sufficient for all things we need. We have a text verse, And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Uh, For those who may not have been here last Sunday, we began looking at the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ is sufficient uh, for sin and whatever temptation to sin may come into our life. And there is not a person here, however devoted you are to the Lord, however committed you are to doing his will, however much you love him, there is not a person here who has not sinned as a child of God or been very tempted to sin. We considered very briefly some of the excuses that people Uh, give for sin uh, trying to explain away the reality that sin is still sin no matter who may try to cover it up uh, no matter who may try to downplay how serious sin is sin is disobedience to God and the scripture shows Old Testament and New that the consequences of disobeying God can be very severe I had just sort of started on the topic or the subtopic that sin is really a matter of the heart and not just a matter of the things that we do or don't do. Now, sin can be something you don't do. The person who knows to do good and doesn't do it, to him it's sin. Uh, But sin begins in the heart when we willfully choose Now, you you can't help the random thoughts that float into your head. We wish we could. But when we choose to think on things that are displeasing to God, when we begin to consider those things, when we entertain those thoughts uh, about things that are displeasing to God and choose to ignore the fact that we know it's wrong to do so, it's sin. If you do nothing about it, beyond thinking about it, the Bible says it's sin. If we, uh, even if we act on those things, the sin was there before the act began. We read in 1 John chapter 1. Uh, let's see, is that the. the that, that slide should have been taken out, so let's move on. There we go. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. I found that mistake, meant to take that slide out. I'm an old man. Anyway, whoever hates his brother is a murderer. That's something that's going on in the heart. That's something that's going on in the mind. It's not something, uh, there have been times that some of us here have really hated someone. I remember a man telling me, and I won't tell the whole story, but he said, I would lie awake at night and try to think of a way that I could kill my daughter's husband without getting caught. (laughs) He was a murderer in God's eyes. And then we read also in Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 and 28, you have heard that it was said to those of old, this comes from the law, you shall not commit adultery. Jesus went on, he said, but I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her, that is, That's the purpose of the look. Uh, Has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And so sin is serious. Sin is pervasive. The temptation to sin is there. And if we choose to stop and entertain that that temptation and consider it, we've already committed sin. I stopped there. I, I said what the Lord told Samuel applies there, and I realized I don't have time to finish that thought, so I stopped there. But God sent Samuel to the house of David, to the family of David, and he went there to anoint a king, the king of God's choosing, the man after God's own heart. And when he saw David's oldest brother, Eliab, he was absolutely convinced this is the guy I mean, he looked the part. As soon as he saw him, I don't know what it was. It doesn't describe the man, man, but he looked like he could be a king. We look at some candidates. Not this year, maybe. And we think they look very presidential, you know. Uh, This guy looks kingly. But the Lord had something to say to Samuel. 1 Samuel 16 and verse 7, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance. That's You can't, with your own eyes or your own capabilities, plumb what's in the heart of a man. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And again, I say, if on any level we yield our hearts, we yield our minds to wickedness, it's sin. It's sin even if nobody sees it, but God, he still reckons it as sin. And please bear in mind, God looked on Eliab's heart, and he rejected him. We only see one other incident, really, about Eliab, David's oldest brother, uh, the three elder brothers, uh, Eliab, Abinadab, and Shammah, had left to follow King Saul into battle, but the battle didn't happen. For over a month, Goliath came out, and he challenged Israel to send out their champion to fight against him, and the Bible says that they were afraid of him. And they ran. And uh, he did that morning and evening, and so Jesse... <coughs> wanted to know how his boys were doing, so he loaded David up with some uh, cheese and bread and grain as provisions for the soldier to take it down and give it to the captains and see how his brothers were doing. And David went in obedience to his father, Jesse. He arrived in time to hear Goliath make his challenge. He began to ask questions, and so big brother Eliab said in 1 Samuel 17, 28, the latter part, Why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you came down <clears throat> to see the battle. I don't think much of him. That. He didn't have either the courage or the faith to fight the battle for God's people that was set before him. And so, you know, sometimes the way people want to make themselves look better is to make someone else look bad. So instead of going out and finding, he made his little brother look bad, flinging a false accusation at someone of whom God says, he's a man after my own heart. Again, I don't think much of Eliab. Eliab's heart was not right before God. I think also of Matthew chapter 3, 27 and 28, woe to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Home in on that word hypocrites. They were false in the appearance that they gave. For you're like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside, in your heart, in your minds, where you think no one can see, God sees, inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness even if they did not let that escape from their hearts and minds and be translated into deeds. Jesus didn't say this just to people who were beset with human weaknesses, as we all are. He said it to people, not those who didn't want to give themselves over to sin. He gave it to people who were hypocrites. People who wanted to make themselves appear as if they were utterly good and with no sin in them, and yet were lawless and without any restraint in their hearts. And so sin, whether we act on it or not, sin is sin, whether contemplated, entertained, and concealed, and excused by the wicked heart or whether actually acted upon now, God's word tells us how to address sin. He tells us how to address the potential for sin when we see it in ourselves. Um, well, Brother Greg, our pastor, gave a series on assess, confess, and bless. First of all, you recognize the sin. Then you acknowledge that the sin exists, that it's a need that needs to be dealt with, and only then can you really be the full blessing you could be to God's people. So the first step is to acknowledge the the need in our lives if we find sin whether in our heart or in our actions. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 31, for if we would judge ourselves. Oh, Christians don't judge. Yes, they do. And this is where they start. If we would judge ourselves, if we would assess ourselves realistically, recognizing, acknowledging, desiring deliverance from what we may find in our heart that's not right, if we judge ourselves, we would not be judged. And that's the beginning of how we must deal with sin and temptation to sin. But as you go on from there, you have to realize that we're not sufficient to handle this problem. If we were sufficient to handle sins, Christ need not have died on the cross. We could not deal with our own sins. No man ever, of the seed of Adam, ever knew how to or had the power to deal with sins. We're not strong enough, we're not enough. Not strong enough, not good enough, not wise enough, not whatever enough. We are not enough to deal with our sins. And so we're told to deal with them in another way when temptation comes. A man said from the pulpit one time, God never told us to resist temptation. Now, this is many years ago, and it kind of made me mad. Where is this man going with this? Then I checked the Bible. And guess what? He was right. 1 Corinthians 6, 18, flee sexual immorality. didn't say resist it. He said run from it. 1 Corinthians 10.14, the latter part of that verse, flee from idolatry. Don't stay and see if you can handle it among those people that are around you trying to run. 2 Timothy 2, the beginning of verse 22, and this has, well, there's a list of things, but we could go into. But he just said, flee also youthful lusts. And then first Timothy six eleven, after giving a list of things, oh man of God, flee these things. How does God want you to deal with temptations? We sing a song, Does Jesus Care? When I've tried and failed to resist some temptations strong. Now, I like the song, don't get me wrong. The chorus answers, oh yes, he cares. I know he cares. His Heart is touched with my grief. There's a lot to be said about that song, but the thing is the Bible doesn't tell us to resist temptation. We're told to flee from temptation, to get out, to get away, to run from it, whatever it is, as fast as possible and by any godly means. That word, the Greek word translated, uh, translated flee is fugo. We get the word fugitive from that. A fugitive looks at a situation, whatever it might be. I could paint some scenarios for you, but whatever the circumstance is, the fugitive looks at that and says, this is not going to turn out well if I stay here. I'm getting out while the getting is good. And he goes. They don't stick around to see how it turns out. Oh, I need to. I need to. I need to be. I need to be spiritually strong. I need to resist this. I need to. I need to learn to endure without submitting to this sin. Some fights are not yours to fight. Now, take a good look at me. I, I told Marlene this morning. I'm working on sermons to take to South America, translating them into Spanish, and one of the things I. Say is that I'm an I'm just an old man who used to be a preacher, in the Spanish it comes out soy un ancien. I am an ancient one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So look at, here at the ancient one. Do you think that I would go against a professional boxer, or go get into an MMA ring? Would I go against an armed professional soldier? You know, a SEAL team. Whatever. How about a bear in the woods? Grizzly bear. Somebody wanted to take my dad grizzly bear hunting, and he said, I haven't lost any grizzly bears. Are those fights that I would fight? No, they are not fights that I would fight because I have a strong suspicion, well validated by the facts, that if I got into one of those fights, I would not fare well. I would lose. The Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 7 I have fought the good fight. Not every fight is a good fight. You know, on Facebook? <laughs> Do you spar with people over their stupid ideas? You know, that they're out there. We're not going to talk about anything in particular. There's some fights. It's not worth your time, you're not going to win, you're not going to accomplish any, anything. And, and so whether it's a verbal or physical thing, you know some fights aren't worth fighting. God is the one who needs to choose our battles for us and he does. Read Ephesians chapter 6 and I'm not going to get into it, but we are called to go to battle. The song I prefer is a chorus that we sometimes sing, "I have a savior. Wonderful friend. When I'm tempted, on him I depend. He knows my weakness. He hears when I call. He gives the victory over all. And uh, I need thee every hour. Stay thou nearby. Tempta- or, temptations lose their power when thou art nigh. Flee from temptation. Here's temptation. Here's the Lord Jesus Christ. Where will you flee from? to when you flee temptation. A psychologist, a self-help book, a meditation guru. I'm going to take a long walk in the woods and go fishing. You flee to Jesus. Here's temptation, here's Jesus. There's distance between and there is safety. So if we're not really called on to fight against temptation, how is there victory? I mean, running away seems like losing But we look to Christ, we trust in Christ, he's sufficient for giving us victory over sin, he's enough. Is deliverance from sin and temptation something that you need at times? Now I'm glad it's not all the time, that'd be worrying. But sometimes, do you need it? And again we have that promise, And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And I have a little bit because I'm an ancient one. <laughs> a little bit of experience. There's another guy here that's a little more ancient than I am, but we won't get into that. <laughs> we have a little experience. We have a little observation that we've made watching others. And if we choose to stand and fight against sin and temptation by our own strength and will, and God has clearly told us to flee, several things will take place. First, we've already defrayed God. you have already disobeyed God. Whatsoever is not faith is sin. So you've multiplied the problem. Secondly, you'll focus on the problem instead of Jesus, who is the solution. Thirdly, you're going to focus on yourself instead of Christ, either constantly beating yourself up over your weakness, and oh, how could I, and why do I have this thought, and why, why am I even drawn to this? Beat yourself up all you want, it won't help. There is a religion that there are those that use self-flagellation to humble and humiliate themselves. and It doesn't help. Or you will focus on yourself and begin to excuse yourself and become like a Pharisee insisting that eh, it's not really that bad. I'm really okay. But I will tell you again, Jesus is enough. Our need will be supplied if we run to Jesus. Remember Paul's answer to himself when in desperation he asked who would deliver him from sin. From the power of sin in his members. Romans chapter 7 verses 24 and 25. O wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from the, this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's your deliverance. Run to Jesus. In the matter of uh, temptation to sin... Again, I prefer that chorus, I have a savior, a wonderful friend, when I'm tempted on him, I depend. Now, are you persuaded to stop? Answer this in your mind, your heart. Are you persuaded that it's better to look to Jesus instead of struggling to do what you really have no power to do? Life in the word of God has convinced me that it's better. I'm not really a fisherman, I've done a little bit of fishing and I've seen others fish and I see how it works sometimes. A fisherman throws out the bait and the fish says, hmm, worm, or whatever it might be. Gets on the hook and then when the fish realizes it's caught, it begins to struggle. And so there are times you reel the thing in, sometimes you give it line and let it run. And then you reel it back in. And you pause and it says, okay, I can run. And you reel it back in. Satan knows how to play the long game. And if you want to fight this thing yourself, understand eventually if you do not just say, I can't deal with this. I'm not enough. Jesus is enough. He's the only enough that there is. Satan will play the long game and and, and you may resist for a long time. But he has the power he has the cunning to reel you in uh, don't take heart from the pauses in temptation and say i've dealt with this successfully take it to jesus and if you have to do it day after day and year after year never excuse it never give up never say i'm okay never say it's not really a problem it never say well i'm just weak take it to Jesus, and take it to Jesus, and take it to Jesus. Because he's enough. 1 John chapter 1, verses 7 through 9, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and that's such a good thing. The fellowship with God's people that we have is so sweet. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us From all sin. That's what we're after. It takes him. It takes his sacrifice applied by faith. If we say we have no sin. Well this isn't really that bad. We deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins. There's that assessment. There's that acknowledgement. If we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And to cleanse us. From all unrighteousness, do you think Jesus is enough to do this? And I will say, by experience, by observation, and by the word of God, which is more sure than any experience I might have, Jesus is enough. We have to understand that sin is a disease that has already infected us. I mean, we've been through this big deal with... uh, COVID and before that, there was the SARS epidemic. And if you go way back, there was the flu epidemic that killed millions back in 1918, I think it was. We're already infected with sin. Uh, we've all sinned. And uh, what Paul called in, in Romans 7.23, the law of sin, which is in my members, we're infected. Sin is in your members. It's built into the flesh and the nature of the flesh. It's there. That doesn't mean you have to yield to it. That doesn't mean it has to be active. You know, there are certain diseases. You can take medications and the disease is still going on, but you stop the progress cold. Well, spiritually, Jesus is the cure. He's the help. He's the one. Uh, It isn't a disease that our flesh will ever be rid of. Dear Sister Richards, in her final days... She said on her deathbed. She was a woman I admired in so many ways. As she became weaker and weaker, she knew that she didn't have the strength to do a lot of things. And so on Wednesdays, she didn't do anything because she wanted to go to church that night to Bible study. And she knew, I'm so weak, if I do anything, I'll be crashed. I won't make it to church. She planned her life around the things of the Lord. One of the most devoted people I've known in my life. And she said as she lay dying, I will bear witness that the old man, the old nature is with you until you die. We don't get rid of it. Some people teach the old man is taken out, written branches. That's, there's nothing to do with that in the Bible. It's there, but it doesn't have to be active, doesn't have to control our actions, doesn't have to bring us to despair, doesn't make us give up hope if we just take it to Jesus. Again, Romans seven twenty four and 25, who will deliver me? Who will deliver me? Wrong button. Oh, wretched man, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank my God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He's sufficient. He can forgive us. He can cleanse us. He can deal with sins we've committed. He can purify our lives so that sin doesn't drive our actions anymore. And if we fly to him in the hour of temptation, he's sufficient to sustain us. But what is the key? 1 John one nine. The beginning, if we confess our sins. And that, you know, begin with that assess, begin with that confess, take it to Jesus, and then the process of deliverance, of cleansing, of help begins. He's able. You know, in many of us, there may be sins or bad habits that pull at us for years after we first acknowledge them and repent. I've told the story. Now, I don't think that smoking tobacco is a, well, we don't divide between sins, but I'll say it's not a mortal sin, but it's a really bad habit, and it's not a great testimony. I'm so stupid, I'll do this and make my body sick when my body belongs to the Lord. Not not a great testimony. So, I, I was smoking two and three packs a day. And when it came time that I felt like I should quit, it wasn't easy. I quit a lot of time before i quit several years later i was standing talking to george glenn some of you may remember brother george glenn went to brother richard's church joel does i'm sure and as i'm talking to it to him i realized i was up here with my fingers reaching into my pocket what for for the pack of cigarettes that had not been there for years Eventually, God delivered me from the craving just instantaneously. But you may have something else in your life, whatever it might be, that you it's, it pulls at you for years. And uh, the course of action for my life has always been, whatever it is, however long it takes, I keep going to Jesus, and I've watched some that don't follow that path and some of them their lives became absolute shipwreck. And so I'll just close this lesson on the fact that Christ is sufficient for your sins and for your temptations. Keep confessing earnestly, honestly before the Lord. There's not always, it's not always the time and the circumstances are not always such that you should confess those sins or temptations to others. But keep taking them to the Lord. Whatever your sin, whatever your weakness, keep going to Jesus and going to Jesus and going to Jesus and going to Jesus because Jesus is sufficient. Jesus is enough for your need. Amen.